Uh, our residence, uh, place of residence today is exactly the passage that uh, was read. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, the vine today. Uh, you know, if you spend enough time with friends, you figure out exactly what they happen to love. Uh, for instance, I, I love my job, I love my home, I love my neighborhood, I love my vacations, I love my car. Uh, for many of you, all of those examples would certainly be true. But we're not as apt to say, I love my life. And if we do say that, we're quick to qualify it because life is a potpourri. Uh, the victories and the joys are always going to be mixed with defeats and disappointments. Now, with that being said, I do believe that it is possible uh, to love the life that you live. But your love of life will be determined not so much by the number of delights you experience, but mostly in the direction that you move. Uh, John 15 is about really direction. And I normally shy away from offering formulas for successful Christian living. Uh, our union with the Lord can't be just boiled down to pragmatics alone. But the principles that happen to be in our text today are major themes with respect to growth. And uh, they're the indispensable building blocks for a life of significance and a life of value. Now, what I want to do is just simply look at these principles, and I'm going to call them secrets, okay? It's, your outline in your bulletin is fairly simple today. First, uh, the secret of living is fruit-bearing. And we just read that a few minutes ago. Let me read just a few verses that uh, <clears throat> we, we read a few minutes ago. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be <clears throat> my disciples. So in this imagery here, the father happens to be the gardener. Uh, God the son happens to be the vine. And we happen to be the branches that go out from the vine itself. Now, the, the metaphor uh, of, use, of using a branch is not so much for building or decorating. There's no ornamental value to a grapevine. You wouldn't want to frame a house using grape wood. It doesn't work that well. A branch is only good for bearing fruit. There's a, a kind of a progression here from no fruit to fruit to more fruit and to much fruit. And every Christian, if the Lord lives in you, you will bear some fruit. It's just a fact of life. But God is glorified when we as his children bear much fruit. Now, there are two kinds of fruit, and I want to put them before you. There's action fruit. And there's attitude fruit. Now, action fruit would consist of what I say, what I do. Romans 1 says, 
mentions fruit in terms of people coming to Christ. Uh, Philippians 4 speaks of fruit that comes from our generosity. Colossians 1 talks about the fruit of just good works. Hebrews 13 talks about the fruit of the lips, an expression of thanksgiving. So action fruit really is the productivity of life that issues forth in righteous conduct. Now, attitude fruit, on the other hand, <clears throat> is illustrated in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We would use that as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, attitude fruit just simply reflects a life of virtue on your part. You know, when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will produce attitude fruit, which in turn will produce action fruit. And action fruit without attitude fruit is legalism, but uh, it, it becomes something of a moralistic religion of self-achievement and self-righteousness. But action fruit as an outcropping of attitude fruit is true spirituality. And God is glorified when everything falls into place. Second, the secret of fruit bearing is abiding. Uh, believers are never exhorted to be in Christ because believers already are in Christ. There's always this, there's this organic union of the branches, and that would be you, and the vine, and that would be Christ. The very heart of heaven comes down into your life. It's like a good marriage. You just love being together. There's a wholeness that's felt by both parties. Let me illustrate this a little bit. Uh, Some time back, um, you know, after a very, very busy week, uh, with good busyness, if you please, um, Suzanne said, you know what? I just want to spend the day together. I don't want to have a huge agenda. Let's just uh, kind of reconnect with each other and enjoy the time together. And so we did. You know, I drove down to Newport Beach and we... Got on Balboa Island and we walked the island and talked and shared and held hands and prayed for a couple of our kids and so forth and uh, just uh, grabbed a bite to eat afterward and toward the end of the day, uh, it was a great, great day and Suzanne was absolutely happy and when she's happy, I'm happy. (laughs) You know, the $64,000 question, of course, is would Suzanne have been happier if I'd have gotten up early and made her breakfast and brought her flowers and given her a foot rub and then sent her on a shopping spree? We'll never know, will we? (laughs) Uh, We are exhorted to abide in Christ, because that's the secret of bearing much fruit. Psalm 63, David said, O God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So our need for connection with God is inconsolable. It's as primal as the body's need for water. You know, there's been an acceptable theory for a number of decades now that says in a country where science and technology advance, religion 
will diminish. And the theory adheres to the idea that human beings naturally see nature as overwhelming and uncontrollable, and when they do that, they turn to a god, if you please. But as science, if you please, whittles down nature in size and shows us that it's not as mysterious as we thought that it was, there will be less of a need for God. Now, when we understand lightning, when we understand thunder and what it is and know how the body works, we no longer need to believe in the spiritual. But to the shock of the experts that say that, the opposite has happened. Uh, We've made great uh, technological and scientific advances in our own country here. Uh, We have a greater ability to explain how the world works than at any other time in history. But it hasn't reduced our desire for a transcendent God. It's aggravated it. I mean, who would have ever believed about 50 years ago during the time of the, if you please, sexy 60s that very few of you went through, but I certainly did, during that time, that there would be this extreme uh, explosion of belief in reincarnation and witchcraft and pantheistic meditation and spirit channeling and so forth. Our environmental movement, particularly at that particular time, had religious language that was attached to it. We've dismissed the creator and ended up falling in love with the creation itself. You know, if you repress... It in your own life. There's just this endless search for meaning. You know, you you can't do it. You know, atheists have found that it's you you just can't repress the spiritual side of people. It's like putting a cork on old faithful, expecting it not to erupt. Our thirst for transcendence will not be denied and cannot be eradicated. If you repress repress it in your life, you become or get on an endless search for meaning. And we were created by God for the purpose of abiding in Christ. Now, there's a couple of specifics of abiding mentioned in chapter 15 of John. It says, we are to abide in his word and we are to abide in his love. Now, what does it mean to abide in the Lord Through his word. Well, let me tell you what I do. When I read the Bible, I'm looking for God, I'm looking for me, and I'm looking for God in relation to me, and when I find it, I pray about it. The Bible continues to remind me that I'm a child of the king, for instance. And so I would pray, Father, I pray that this day, as I live it out, I would not compromise the greatness that you have given me. The Bible says God remembers me and affectionately thinks about me. And so I pray, Father, protect me from living this day as though I'm not loved. You know, when I do that during difficulty, I discover that the ugliness of the present situation oftentimes loses its grip. You know, if if I find an appetite... You know, I, I want to find my appetite for the stuff that this world has suppressed. Uh, I can enjoy what he sends my way without having to binge, without having to purge. Now, what does it mean to abide in the Lord? Uh, when you trust Christ, uh, you are as delighted in 
by God as you will ever be in your entire life. God's love for you knows no increases or decreases. His love isn't more when you're good and less when you're bad. Uh, His love for you doesn't grow, but your awareness of it does grow. It's like a child's understanding of parental love. Uh, When a child is young, they don't understand too much, but as they continue to grow, they begin to understand more of parental love, and it fully blooms when that child, in fact, becomes a parent. Uh, Let me give you the third thing. Uh, The secret of abiding is obeying. In verse 10, it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, we're not to chafe at the commandments of the Lord. They're there for our good. And every prohibition that we find in Scripture is simply a means of divine protection. And to cast them aside does not lead to freedom it leads to bondage. Now, it doesn't mean that the commands of God are easy, and we all know that they're not. Uh, we're always working against it with uh, the depravity that we all carry. Uh, they flow against the impulses of our own nature. You know, to obey Christ, to follow Christ, and to live a life of obedience is kind of like walking up a downward escalator. It takes a great deal of effort and exertion to do that. Now, there's a principle of decay in this world in which we live. You don't have to do anything for it to go wrong or bad. For instance, if you ignore your house, if you ignore your spouse, if you ignore your car, if you ignore your body, you'll experience decay in all of these areas. If you want to regress, all you have to do is nothing. Uh, If you want to progress, work hard. You see, unless we're intentional about becoming better people in the Lord, uh, we're going to become worse. Obedience is simply the recognition that God wants us to become better. And so we pray, Father, you desire this for my well-being And therefore, your desires have become my delights. Now, the pruning of the Father comes in at this particular point. You know, the Father in this imagery here of the vine and the branches, the Father happens to be uh, the gardener. And God the Son happens to be uh, the one who examines the branches. And... uh, uh, he is the vine, and we happen to be just the, the branches itself. And what God wants is our relationship with him to be, for, he, he wants us to see if our relationship with him is formal or vital, whether it's organic or mechanical, religious or whether it's truly born again. And what the Father does is he does a couple of things. First away, he cuts the dead branches off the vine, and then he prunes 
the live branches. Now, to prune is to attack. It's to be ruthless. Uh, you walk into a vineyard that's just been pruned, and there's greenery everywhere. And uh, the ignorant eye will look at something like that and say, you know what, an absolute waste. But the skillful eye knows that there wasn't one random stroke of the blade itself. The purpose of pruning is simply to develop you, not to destroy you. And when you find yourself under the pruning knife, as we all have at particular times in our life, it's to remind you that some earthly thing has become too important in your life, and it will ruin your life if God doesn't cut it out. Now, let me remind you, by the way, that the Lord is never closer to you than when he happens to be pruning you. You know, when you feel the acute pain of the cold steel of the knife, remember that this is for my ultimate good. Uh, fourth, the secret of obeying is loving. And true obedience is built on the foundation of love. And there are two great commandments, uh, and we, I think we know them. Uh, the first great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And those two great commandments kind of encapsulate the Ten Commandments, if you please. Uh, the first four deal with loving God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou will not make any idols out of anything. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath. The first four have to do with loving God. The last six have to do with loving your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. That has to do with our relationship with one another. So what the Ten Commandments end up doing is they put the bite into love and they give it definition. You see, we can verbally extol all the virtues of God and declare our love for God, but if he's not preeminent, if he's not number one, then we're living the lies that we happen to be telling. You know, Jonathan Edwards, who was perhaps the greatest uh, American-born Bible scholar that we've had in all of history here, lived during the Puritan era. But he says this, God feels loved when we find our greatest delight in him. In the human realm, and let me use my wife Suzanne as an example here, Suzanne most feels loved when she's my greatest source of human delight. In the divine realm, God feels loved when he's the greatest source of our total delight. And on that basis, we can define sin as people who stop finding their chief joy in the Lord. You know, the prophet Jeremiah supports this, and this is what he says. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. And God says, here's a gushing, overflowing fountain of living water. But instead of drinking the water that he provides, we're sometimes tempted to grab a straw and suck some kind of moisture out of the mud itself. 
And loving God in a way that makes him smile is making him your lifelong pursuit and finding your greatest delights in him. And then fifth, the secret of loving is knowing. Verse 15 says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. A love is both volitional, an act of the will, and it's emotional, warm feeling at the core of your soul. And so it's important that we don't deny our emotions, but consecrate them. And then Jesus says, the more you know me, the more you will love me. It was Philip Brooks who said, familiarity breeds contempt, but only with contemptible people. Familiarity in a growing marriage, in a growing friendship, always breeds greater love. And this is true in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the will of God is wrapped up in the person of God. And the better we know his person, the more we'll understand his will. And it brings us to this. The most important part of your life, the most important part of my life, is that which God alone sees. And the Bible exhorts us to move from little children to adolescence to the status of being spiritual men and women and young people too. You see, the more we... Let's put it, let me put it this way. It's coming to a place in life, in our spiritual life, where our doctrine is solid and we can now pursue the God that is behind the doctrine. And the more that we know him, and let me turn everything around in your outline, but the more that we know him, the more we will love him, and the more that we love him, the more we will obey him, and the more we obey him, the more we will abide in him, and the more we abide in him, the more fruit we will bear. And the more fruit we bear, the, the more we'll love the life that we live. And that's what we all want. We want to love the life that God has given us to live. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Lord's Day and for reminding us uh, who you are, uh, what you've done for us, how you've paved the way for us to be part of your family. And Lord, at times we uh, take side steps and even backward steps and uh, displease you, but we thank you that uh, you provided us with uh, the Spirit of God who reminds us of that and then gently brings us back on the right path so that we might follow you. We thank, thank you, Father, that you cover our mistakes. You don't broadcast them. Uh, that's just the, the kind of father that you are. And as we learn and continue to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would pray, Father, that you would be uh, truly honored. In Christ's name, amen.